this is SGTV Conversations Podcast, as we've been talking for a little bit. Yeah. Some sports stuff. Yeah. I'm Luke Baker, your host, and joining me, my co-host. John Wagner. Hell yeah. Live in the flesh. And then the man, the myth, and the legend. Brent Morin. Brent Morin. There How you are go. we doing? This is my, uh, this is my, you know, radio podcast, and what'd you call it again? What's it called again? Conversations. Interview sessions. Yeah. Interview sessions yeah, voice. Yeah, NPR style. Interview yeah, interview sessions, sessions is very kind of like R&B a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to interview sessions. Yeah. We're here with Diamond. She's been working about three years now in the local club. She's trying to figure that <laughs> yeah. shit out. She's a local fan favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, baby. It's your session. Yes, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, it's man. either that or it's like... Oh. This, today's broadcasting is brought to you by the Arthur L. Vining Foundation. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> viewers like you. <laughs> and oh, at any point, call and donate 35 cents to the local symphony. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've ever listened to like classical music and they constantly are like local symphony with uh, guest conductor. Yeah. Jaku Shipika Zico, who uh, <laughs> we are lucky to have, so you, you're going to want to get down there. It's like, who? Like, yeah. no one of us knows. Get your know. season tickets now for this one event. It's going to be a magical yeah. evening. Come on down to the opera. Yeah. You will not believe we have very special guests. I was like, they're not, I have no idea who they yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you, but you know somebody's out there just listening to be like, oh, my God, this I is know. my favorite composer of all time. The most pretentious yeah. people ever. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so... I have we have a couple questions for cool. you. Just um, discuss a couple things. Um, first question is: We're just wondering, how did you kind of get in the entertainment business? Did you always want to do stand up, or did you kind of just fell into it? Or um, actually, I always wanted to uh, since probably like fifth grade. Wanted to move to LA and uh, started making films in fifth grade and started writing and never really thought about stand up. Actually, I would, and I would write music and I would do all that stuff. And then I was like, when I turn 18, I'm moving to LA. And I went to school in LA at 18, two weeks after 18. And then I pretty quickly when I was in film school and writing class, I started like getting critiqued and it wasn't real critiques and like wasn't real criticism. And I wanted to know if I was funny. And I happened to stumble into the laugh factory on sunset. I was 18 and it was the only place I could go. And I saw like, at the time, like one of my idols, Dan Cook, who's now one of my mentors, like one of the guys that I'm friends with, which is crazy. All the guys I looked up to are now I'm like buddies with. And uh, I just thought, man, this would be a good way to find out if I'm funny. So I just went there cause, and uh, bombed terribly. <laughs> and uh, I did like an open mic for like waiting in line for three hours, did three minutes and bombed, just completely bombed and then couldn't go out that way. I was too competitive. So I was like, oh, let's keep doing it while I'm still in school. And I met like uh, a bunch of friends, like Chris D'Elia and um, the guy opening for me here, Jason Collins, were my first two friends in comedy when I was 18. And uh, lucky enough that we get to like bring him on the road and he gets to go out and do his thing now. Uh, but yeah, I d never really thought about doing it. And then when I did it, I became addicted to it. And then all my things got better, all my writing, my acting, my directing, everything was just getting tighter and more confident, better. And uh so now I'm, I'm addicted to it. <laughs> so I always do it. Now, what's what's the strangest venue you've ever done stand up in? Oh boy, I mean, there's a list. Uh, hostels. I used to play hostels a lot. Uh, oh, used to do that because when you're like in LA too, you got to play every weird place. So strip clubs, hostels. Hostels are odd because there's not a lot of people who speak English. Say, you got to get lucky European if you. Thing? Yeah, you, if you get some Aussies and some English people, they can. But a lot of times it's over their heads. Um, although one of my f best sets was at a hostel, I think, when I was like 22, 23. So I'd say a hostel, strip club, um, restaurants. I've played restaurants. I've done like, <laughs> yeah, I did like, uh, what was it? Uh, 
I've done uh, bowling alleys. That's always weird because you got to wait for people to bowl. Uh, <laughs> Is it like, a, are you like yeah. an MC? You're like, you're like right. so anyway, and then it's like strike, and then you're like, so I went to the, yeah. <laughs> I played like a high school once, and they had our, our time. Me and Jace played a high school in Long Beach, and they had our time on the timer. Uh, but it would count down. So what? once it hit, once it hit zero, it just would. Eh. <laughs> so that really sucked because you're like in the middle of a joke and you think it's just a clock, but no, it's really yeah. just a timer. Yeah. And it just yeah. when it hit zero, it was like, th- thank you. It was Ball like, was like yeah. Ball Ball it was. Jeez. <laughs> That was well, hell. in California, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they bring in comedians to high school, but then you have like, a, you're on the am clock, I though. here? So it many is. places. I was like, why am I here? And the people watching were like, why are you here? It's not like music. Music, you can kind of play, and even if you're not good, you get away with it, and people are kind of like, this sounds nice. Yeah. But comedy, yeah. it's just like, you're talking and I'm talking. I could talk, too. You know, so people want to mm-hmm. talk to you. Yeah. Um, I, kind of speaking to a different audience there, do you, do you, like, change your style or – like what's what's different from doing a stand up like for a college audience and rather than you know like a you know comedy club or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um well, you know, I think as you keep doing it, you get stronger and you get better and you'll you'll find that you can make people laugh with the same material. When I was first starting, it was like college audience I would focus on drinking and partying. Uh, granted, when I was starting and I would play colleges, I was in college. So it was a little easier for me to relate. Uh but just now I did a show and it was amazing and I was just talking about everything all the new stuff that i'm talking about now that's like all the brand new things i'm working on because i just did my special so i'm not doing anything from that special right now i'm trying to work out all this new stuff and you'd be really surprised if you give an audience credit how much they can understand and how much they can relate to even if it's nothing like that they could relate to like you know having a kid or whatever i mean i don't talk about that but jason does and he's down there killing talking about family and so you kind of have to at one point go like I can't change my who I am. I have to just be confident with who I am, and then people notice that confidence somehow, and they're like they'll get on board. You know, mm-hmm. I will mess with crowds too though. If you're weird, yeah. and I, I gotta go at you a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah. kind of have to. Yeah, because like some other comedians, like Chris has come in here and he yeah. talked about how like you know we had he had the issue of like political correctness and like trying to get around that because you know if it's a different audience maybe like somebody in L.A. for say you know, yeah. per se, you're gonna tell some more like ridiculous jokes yeah. maybe about maybe some like racist stuff or uh, not necessarily racist not calling yeah. them racist but you know what I mean because race you know, racy oh stuff like right yeah, yeah, yeah racy you know, well there are places where people like a joke that isn't racist at all that is that considered politically incorrect in certain places. Usually isn't, and it's just crowds taking it completely wrong. Yeah, and you have to get to a point where you're just like, "This is funny," and you better, and either you like it or you don't like it. And uh, there are times if you're playing like an older crowd, maybe I'll stay away from this material tonight and I'll focus on this. But for the most part, I'm not gonna like shift a lot because a lot of stuff I talk about is just internal. It's everything that I'm going through. So I'm always like, I messed up. I drank too much. I went on this date. I got in a fight. I did this, you know? So it's just me telling stories about me as opposed to like making statements about, you know, Trump is this or mm-hmm. this person's this, you know? I could see how that could become a little bit more, I'm on this side, you're on this side, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just somehow I've made like a little safe, safe little zone for me somehow. People are like, oh, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
Um, so speaking of some some uh, crowds you've seen and people you've seen, you did Conan for a while. You yeah. worked on that. What was that like? That was amazing. Conan taught me the uh, professionalism of comedy. He's a mentor of mine. He uh, every day treats it like a job, gets his job done, works. Comedy is so fun. It's such a great career. Like I'm very lucky to do what I love and be creating for a living. But it is a job, and it does take a lot of work. And that's like my advice I give to every newcoming comic is, you got to do it every day. I do 40 shows a month, and I st still do it even when I'm shooting a sitcom. I'll do 30 to 40 a month, and I still write TV shows and movies, and I still try to make projects. And it's because I love what I do, and Conan loves what he does. But he does the work, and that's one of the first things I learned from him is like, be professional about it. So working for him, I got to watch that, and I got to watch too how. You have to take criticism in comedy or anything creative. You have to be willing to like, because it is such a subjective business where you have an opinion, I have an opinion. Neither opinion is it's not two plus two is four. So who knows what's right, but it's listening and like opening up to that. And Conan was really good at that with his writers, where it is Conan O'Brien, who's the funniest guy I've ever seen. Like he's a com the definition of a comedic genius, but he would still go, maybe you're right. Yeah, let's do it that way, you know? And it's like, whoa, he... Is letting this young staff writer say, well, I think it'd be better this way. I'll go, okay. Well, hopefully. Let's see what happens, you know? Yeah. So, it's so fascinating to me. Yeah. So comedy, you know, I guess something you learn is more of a collaborative process where yeah. someone might even think to even spin that joke in a different route. Yeah. And, and that's it's okay. Like with me and Chris and <clears throat> Jason in particular, we'll always give each other like tags or notes. Be like, dude. Or if we see one of us because we're so loose sometimes and we'll like play with bits so much and we're having just fun up there. Sometimes I'll do something like I could have done something on this show and then we're doing another show right now and I might do some, the same bit but do something different. Jason will be the first to be like, <clears throat> dude, it was better when you did it that way in the first show. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. <clears throat> Need some water, man? Oh, good? God. <clears throat> I, I was, I no, I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Man, I'm not I'm that good. weird. Um, I'm good. So speaking of Chris and all that, Undateable Now, yeah. this, is, this has been <clears throat> going now for – how much, three been, seasons. Three seasons. And you guys did it at first. It was it was the taped sitcom, and yep. now you guys are moving to the live. What's that been like with that transition? Dude, it's the best. I mean, especially for comics. I mean, we get to – what you see is what you get. There's a three-second delay, so we can't change anything. We don't reshoot anything. Uh, we get to improvise. We mess with each other. We mess with our personal lives too, you know, without knowing about it. Like Chris might say something about me that was not – planned you know and then i'm just sitting out there on national television having to deal with it while the backstreet boys are watching off camera laughing you know like it's such a surreal job it doesn't even feel like a job and then unlike snl we do it in stand west coast you know which in their defense they can't do too that would take way too long yeah. um but that dude it's <clears throat> by the time we get to the west coast we're lunatics yeah. i mean it's like i turn into nick cage in a bad movie you know i just like just go off the rails and it's just to make each other laugh we're just literally it's a group of friends just trying to break every one of us and ruin everybody's moment <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> mean so from the tape to the live it's just it's just better for us it's a better rush the tape was fun because it was a little bit more relaxed and coherent where the live is i think perfect for our show and i think the audience has seen that too where the people that really like the show now are like we really like the show and people that have never seen it and including critics who have seen it when it wasn't live are now like oh this is how this show should have been so who knows i mean if we don't overcome it back if we do i, I would assume we're live i would hope we're live i don't really want to do it if it's not live you know because yeah. it's just 
I mean, it's too much fun. It's their fault. Don't give us a live show with bands every week that we're hanging with and just like it's you know and then you give a live lounge bar with an open bar after the show and you're just standing there and it's like it's a party i was like this is a party every week i can't this is too much like this is not a job <laughs> that's great um now uh kind of moving into your um you just released your netflix special in yeah. december um could you just kind of give us like uh how that whole process started how kind yeah of Netflix came well you know that was a that was a uh eight eight nine year process basically because i was from like 18 until about 27 i think i sold it uh that was just going at festivals and um we got to a point where i was on undateable my manager and agents were like do you want to do a half hour <clears throat> i said i'd rather skip the half hour and wait to do an hour because I, I for me being a personal comic I want to look at my like stand-up career as yearbooks, you know. And I don't think if you're gonna do something, don't just do it because somebody tells you to do it. Like in this business, don't do it because it's gonna be on Comedy Central, which is a great like avenue for obviously for comics. I grew up watching half-hour specials on that. Don't just do it because of that. You gotta like step away from that and be like, what is best for me? And for me, it's like I ha I just started picturing myself at like 50 watching whatever Netflix is at the time, if it's still Netflix, and being able to go back and still see, what was I talking about at 28? Or what was I talking about at 30, you know? So I was like, I just want to do the hour. And I showcased it at the New York Comedy Festival. And Netflix was there, and HBO and Comedy Central, and a lot of people came out, and thank God it went well. And uh, <laughs> they just like made an offer like that next week. And it happened like probably a year earlier than I thought. And then we waited till this, like two weeks before my 29th birthday. And I was like a crazy, and I found out when I was in New York, which is always a mistake, because yeah. then I'm out till nine in the morning, spending <laughs> thousands of dollars I don't have to impress women that don't like me. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, speaking of girls that don't like you. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. What's been, what's been like we have a list. weirder uh, like celebrity encounters that you've had? Oh, boy. Weirder? Jeez. Um, I would say the weirdest one, well, probably the most interesting one, would be Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran was on the f season two of Undateable when we did our first ever live attempt. And uh, me and him are both kind of like Irish boys. He's a little booze guy. And I was like, I'm not going to drink until I'm done taping because we we're doing East and West. But after the first one and the, the first episode, it's the first time I've ever done live TV. It's the first time NBC's done it, a live sitcom in a long time. It might be the last episode we ever do. So between the shows, I just did one shot of tequila just to be like, I mean, I'd been, my chest got waxed. I got slapped in the face by Mini Driver. I got hit by all these people. Like I got slapped by everybody and, and waxed. I go, fuck this. I earned it. So I took a shot. I go to hair and makeup and my uh, hair lady's like, she's like, why do you smell like tequila? And I was like, get off my ass. I earned it. I go, don't worry about it. I earned it. Okay. I'm not, I'm done. Don't worry. And then it's like the seas parted. And sitting there in the makeup room was Ed Sheeran. And he's like, are you doing shots, mate? You should come to the room. Bill gave me the good stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, all right, see you in a few. Because he's like the nicest dude ever. I go, all right, Ed. And then it's just quiet in the makeup room. And they're looking at me. I go, what, he's a rock star. I'm going to say no to that. Yeah. I guess I'm drinking in between the shows. First time ever doing live TV. So I knock on his door, his dressing room. A guy opens. It looks like three extras from Snatch. They're all in there. <laughs> And he's just got a light over, like, a table where he's been cutting limes. Very nice presentation. And, like, tequila, good tequila, like Don Julio 1942 or something. Jeez. 
So I'm like, hell, I, uh, yeah. So we do a shot. And I'm like, cheers. He goes, cheers, mate. I'm like, do the shot. And then he's just like looking at me. And he goes, is that all you're going to do? I'm already four in. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'll do more. And so then I just did like four, I think like four or five shots before we did the next <laughs> show. And I come out of the room. My boss is like, what are you doing in Ed's room? I go, it's your fault. Don't give him the yeah. good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so then I get out there and Ed is getting way loose. And he's improvising a lot. And like he, a lot of his scenes were with me anyway. And he got the freedom to improvise because we do. And so he's messing around. It's fine. Throughout the show, I think he's boozing. Other people were too. And uh, he kisses me, like makes out with me on live television when he was just supposed to hug me. And then <laughs> I don't know why he did it. After that, we were best friends. So there was a party on the set after that. And we just stayed to like, we shut it down. It was just the two of us till about four in the morning. And I had just had the weirdest picture of Ed carrying me on the ground and like a dance circle. <laughs> and then I had another picture of Ed and I like fucking like wrestling and just being weirdos. And then I had a text message friend. It just said Ed Sheeran. And I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> and he was like, what a night. And I was like, God damn it. And then a picture was sent to me. He's like, I don't remember that. I was like, I don't remember that. Are we friends? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> friends. <laughs> I haven't seen him yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was probably the weirdest celebrity experience yeah. I've ever had. That's interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. But um, given the peer pressure for celebrities, that's what I've learned. I have zero backbone. That's what I've learned. Wow. Ask me twice. Makes for a good story. <laughs> yeah. They're people too, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. That's... No, but I, Jesus. I mean, I was like, this is going to be a story. You have to yeah. think in your head, will this be a story one day? Like, say yes. Don't, you don't want to be like, fuck, why didn't I just say yes? You know? Yeah. It's just more, it's more material. Yep. Um, so, so, now, so we have kind of another fun question for you too. Mm -hmm. um, if ethics, you know, were out the window, what reality show would you make? If ethics were out the window, yeah, um, uh, reality stars trying to kill themselves on a beach or some shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. You know, let's no, see how wait, no, how would you be hard they really work. You know, yeah. I think I'd be like EP. I'd be like kind of like a Mick G when you see his name directing and EPing things that you didn't know he's doing. <laughs> and then I would get somebody like like uh, Bear Grylls to host or some shit and like put them in weird areas. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> and let's see how hardworking they really are because a lot of times the reality shows they're constantly. I work very hard to get here. It's like, really? Well, let's see if you can get out of the jungle. <laughs> get out of the jungle. And that's the name of it. Get out, get of, the out of the jungle. Get out of the jungle. That would be pretty good. Any b-ball questions? B-ball questions. Uh, I wish I could dunk. <laughs> you wish you could dunk. Um, I don't know if you saw this today, but this is just so random. Christoph Porzingis. Yeah. Oh, everybody knows. Uh -huh. Giant. He did this thing with Darren Rovell. I don't know if you know. He works for ESPN. He's this tiny little dude. He's like five foot eight. Yeah. And they did a thing today. It was like he tried to just play one on one with Kristaps Porzingis. This dude's like seven foot tall. He's five foot eight. He got scared like a little girl. Who would be the last person you would go? You would want to go one on one with? Uh, Russell Westbrook. And Russell here's Westbrook. why. I was on the Undateable tour. We were doing a stand up tour. They put us up in these nice hotels. Uh, and the Oklahoma City Thunder were in the hotel. And I saw Westbrook <clears throat> walking towards me. And on TV, he's so fast, he moves, and he's so... But he is humongous. Yeah. He's like 6'4", and wide, and jacked. And just picturing him running at me the way he does, just fucking looking like an yeah. alien. You know? It's just like, that'd be too scary. Yeah. I mean, the guy dented his head last year, and he didn't even act like he, he anything care. happened. He was exactly. just like, oh, I'll be all right. Next day, it's gone? What happened? Yeah. Why is it gone? 
who knows? Yeah. He just pinched his nose, blew it back out. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh god, he looks like a character from Space Jam. You know, Space. he really does. He looks like when those little guy aliens just turned into all the ball players. That's yeah. what he looks like. Is he gonna the be in the? Stars. He's yeah. gonna be in the second one instead of LeBron James. Yeah. Who? Would, yeah, you know, people are saying that LeBron James should do Space Jam two. Who would you cast as the lead instead of Michael Jordan for Space Jam two? Oh boy, would it be Steph? LeBron, James Harden. Well, it would have to be LeBron, yeah. uh, but I don't think he should do that. No, right? I, you don't want to be in, uh, always in Jordan's shadow. You got to do yeah. your own thing. Do like I heard he was developing a movie with Kevin Hart where they play brothers. That would be great. <laughs> well, uh, Kevin Durant actually did a movie. It was like a complete knockoff. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, Thunderstruck. Yeah. It was a complete knockoff of like Mike. That's that was that made me cringe. It was not great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Um, well, it was. Been like a pleasure. Say, yeah, dude. Great Absolutely. having you here. Um, yeah. Check him out on Undateable, his new special. Yeah, um, I'm Brent Morin on Netflix. Check that out. And uh, tweet NBC. Yeah. Tell them to just let us know yeah. before you picked up yet. Another bring season. back Undateable. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag season. bring back Undateable. Hell yeah. yeah. There you go. That's already right. out there. Yeah. All right. Thanks well, for joining us. Right, Thank you, guys.